0: Section 11 of Life of John Churchill, Duke of Marlborough, by Louise Creighton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 6, The First Years of the War, Part 1. At first, the Grand Alliance consisted only of England, Holland, and the Empire. But other German princes rapidly joined. The aid of the Elector of Brandenburg, Was won by his recognition as King of Prussia. His father, Frederick I, known as the Grand Elector, had so increased the power of Brandenburg that it had become of great importance in the affairs of Germany, more especially as he had organized a well trained army. His son, who cared more for shows and dignities than for anything else, reaped the result of his father's labor and was crowned by the Emperor King of Prussia in 1701. The elector of Hanover, the elector Palatine, and Louis Margrave of Baden also joined the Grand Alliance. Louis XIV managed to win over to his side the electors of Bavaria and Köln. His only other ally was Victor Amadius II, Duke of Savoy. He was a brave and ambitious prince, and his natural desires would have led him to take part against louis Fourteenth, for his small territory was entirely overshadowed by the mighty power of france and he felt himself in danger of sinking to the position of a french vassal but louis Fourteenth spared no trouble to keep him on his side and had married his grandsons the duke of burgundy and the king of spain to two daughters of victor amadeus at the opening of the campaign of 1702 the french had command of the spanish low countries of Luxembourg and of the territories of Cologne and liege so that both the southern and eastern frontier of holland lay open to them and the allies therefore had to defend both the meuse and the rhine marlborough on his arrival at the hague was named commander-in-chief of the combined english and dutch forces with a salary of ten thousand pounds though he had not failed still to press the appointment of prince george of denmark with him were associated the two generals of the dutch forces the duke of athlone a dutchman by birth and the prince of both of these generals had aspired to be the commander-in-chief and their jealousy of his superiority was at first very troublesome to marlborough he was also much hampered by the field deputies whom it was the habit of the dutch to send with their armies these men though not themselves military men had to be consulted on all occasions as the dutch forces could not be moved without their permission and they were always more likely to be led by the advice of their own generals than by marlborough the allies were opposed by a french army under the nominal command of the duke of burgundy the dauphin's eldest son The real command being in the hands of marshal boufflet marlborough wished to begin at once with active measures to cross the meuse and carry the war into brabant he was at the head of about sixty thousand men and hoped to do great things but the natural timidity of the dutch would not allow them to consent to any bold measure their constant fear was that their frontier should be left exposed and it was not till the twenty sixth of July that Marlborough persuaded them to let him lead his army across the Meuse near Amon. He soon had an excellent opportunity of attacking the French army, but the fears of the Dutch kept him back to his bitter disappointment. His aim now was to take from the French some of those fortresses which Louis the Fourteenth had seized in the Spanish Netherlands and which gave him the command of the Dutch frontier. During the campaign, Marlborough succeeded in reducing four important fortresses on the Meuse: Fenlo, Rimonda, Stevensviet, and Liege. The ability which he showed called forth the warm admiration even of Athlone, who wrote: "The success of this campaign is solely due to this incomparable chief, since I confess that I, serving as second in command, opposed in all circumstances his opinion and proposals." having disposed his army in their winter quarters marlborough set out for the hague on his way back to england he journeyed in a boat on the meuse under the protection of a guard of horsemen who rode on the banks but in the darkness of the night the horsemen missed the boat and marlborough with only a guard of twenty-five men was surprised by a body of french soldiers fortunately the french did not know what a prize had fallen into their hands one of marlborough's attendants happened to have with him a french pass which had once been granted to marlborough's brother general churchill he had the presence of mind to hand it secretly to marlborough who on producing it was allowed to pass on but already the news had got about that marlborough was a prisoner and the general consternation was great marlborough's own appearance at the hague put a stop to all anxiety and he was greeted with great joy I was not ashore one minute, he writes, before I had great crowds of the common people, some endeavouring to take me by the hands, and all crying out, Welcome! But that which moved me most was to see a great many of both sexes cry for joy. Meanwhile on the Rhine the margrave of Baden had commanded the forces of the allies, accompanied by the young king of the Romans, Joseph, eldest son of the emperor. He succeeded in taking Landau, but he was afterwards defeated at friedlingen by the french general Villars, who was made a marshal for his victory but who did not know how to follow it up in the milanese the french under Villeroy, were opposed to the austrian force under prince eugene a general second only to marlborough in ability eugene was a second cousin of victor amadeus of savoy he had been bred in france and was to have been a priest but his own tastes led him to choose the life of a soldier. Louis XIV would not give him a commission because of his small stature, and in disgust Eugène left France to enter the service of the Emperor, where he won great distinction in the wars against the Turks. An Italian by descent, but born in France and now living in Germany, he signed himself Eugenio von Savoie, to show the three nationalities to which he belonged his long pale face and brilliant eyes showed his italian origin he was a man of culture but a true italian in the calmness with which he regarded the horrors which war brought about as a soldier he was distinguished for his dashing courage he showed himself equally careless of his own safety and of the lives of his soldiers even before they met Marlborough and Eugène had conceived a great esteem for one another, which ripened into friendship when they came to know one another. Each admired the other's genius with perfect frankness, and they worked together with the same aim and the same views without any of those jealousies which so often make perfect concord impossible between two generals in high command. Prince Eugène won a victory at Cremona and took Villeroy prisoner. Vendome, a far abler general, was sent to succeed Virlois and was joined by young King Philip of Spain, who wished to command his armies in person. An indecisive battle was fought with Eugene at Luzzara, and at the end of the campaign, the French still occupied the Milanese. Eugene had been too feebly supported to do much. The same year, an attack was made on Cadiz by the English and Dutch fleets. This attack had been planned by William, and great results were hoped for it, but there was no one amongst its leaders capable of directing it vigorously. Ormond, the general of the troops, disagreed with Sir George Rook, the admiral of the fleet. The Dutch and the English quarrelled, and they returned without having effected anything beyond the capture of some Spanish treasure from galleons which had taken refuge at Vigo. On the whole, the only marked success of the campaign of seventeen o two was marlborough's capture of the fortresses on the meuse by which he had done much to protect the dutch frontier the news of his success was received with joy in england and the tories did not fail to draw comparisons between his campaign and william's a public thanksgiving was held at st paul's and attended by the queen and both houses of parliament and both houses passed votes of thanks to marlborough for his services the queen determined to show her favor by making him a duke she wrote to lady marlborough it is very uneasy to your poor unfortunate faithful morley to think that she has so very little in her power to show how truly sensible i am of all my lord marlborough's kindness especially at a time when he deserves all that a rich crown could give But since there is nothing else at this time, I hope you will give me leave as soon as he comes to make him a duke. Lady Marlborough was not eager for this distinction, as she thought that their wealth was not enough to enable them to support it. But Marlborough himself was not averse to a more dignified title, saying that he thought it would do the Queen's cause on the continent good if her general were distinguished the reluctance of lady marlborough was overcome by their friends and the queen granted marlborough five thousand pounds a year out of the post office for his lifetime she desired the commons to take measures to settle this sum permanently upon him and his heirs but here she met with unexpected resistance parliament even presenting a remonstrance against her grant this drove her to still greater generosity and she added to the five thousand pounds 2,000 out of the privy purse. End of section 11.